The Comics Course is an offering of the lectures from Miskatonic University's Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, offered as a publicly available podcast. So, we're outside and we're going to talk, or really rant, about Rings of Power. This is not a regular lecture. This is just us chilling. Now... I want to be clear, especially should the president of Miskatonic University hear this, mm-hmm. that while I am outside, I am also still in my office. Mm-hmm. According to the 1973 June the 12th minutes of the Faculty Senate, faculty facing the quad of Miskatonic University, where intramurals are held and other activities, may hang anything they wish from their office. And it shall be considered a part of their office to encourage the positive activities of the student body. So, this 24 by 10 foot platform, which has been very carefully attached thanks to the maintenance crew of Miskatonic, Mm -hmm. uh, is attached to my office so that I can sit here And from my office, but outside, communicate my encouragement to the students of Miskatonic and their emotional well-being and their academic journey. I'll take it if it means I get the sun. I know. I mean, I know I'm of Irish descent, but I mean, I'm so pale I could be mistaken for a Grecian statue at this point. Just, you know, without the six-pack abs. My roommates are scared I'm sick every day. Well, that's fair. And you kind of are, but in the head. That's just rude. But not wrong. So, Rings of Power. We were ranting about Harry Potter, and we may record a rant about that at a future point. Mm -hmm. But Tolkien's place in history is assured, and having remained popular for four or five generations now, Mm -hmm. I think has a real chance to remain popular a very long time. Mm -hmm. And perhaps be rediscovered and that kind of stuff. So, what do I think of Rings of Power? I was excited about it. Same. I, I got, when I first got the trailers for it, I was kind of hyped. Right. As a long-term Tolkien fan since I was little. Right. And what I was initially informed of via reading is that they would fill in gaps in Tolkien's writing, mm-hmm. but not contradict anything, which I think is perfectly legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Tolkien wrote a great deal in his Legendarium, But he didn't write about every possible thing. Uh, I mean, he wrote about tens of thousands of years of history. Of course there's huge gaps. And he was even contradictory at times, so I accept in advance they might have to make some selections. However, and I don't recall all the details of this off the top of my head, but there were some complications about what they did and did not have access to. And creating the show. Although, I'm a little confused on that because some of the choices they made still don't seem in line with that. But, I'm not going to talk about that right now. This isn't about the legalities of what they could and could not do in their contract. This is a rant about the story. So some of the things I rant about may well be things that they couldn't avoid. That they had to invent something for but that I still didn't like. So, what did I think overall of Rings of Power? I thought it was a hot mess. That's sad. I thought it had gorgeous sets. I was gonna say the trailers looked gorgeous. The costumes were good. I thought the action scenes were well done. The actors do well? I thought the acting overall was strong. I think the real problem was the writing. It's always the script. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm not going to bury the lead. Mm -hmm. The core problem is that it felt like a TV show. Oh, no. And it should be noted that the two lead writers of it had very little background. Mm -hmm. I want to know whose dicks they sucked to get this job. Oh. Um, Because... 
you go on to IMDb, you're expecting people given the writing lead on this kind of series must have a serious resume. Does they not? Oh, one of them had written like a couple episodes of a TV show and the other had been like a production assistant on a TV show. No. Yeah. What? Because I expected guys with like decades of writing right. history, and I expected if I went on their IDMB to be like, "Oh, that movie won Oscars." Right. No, they have very little writing experience, and it was all TV based. And here's one of the fundamental problems: it felt like a TV show in its structure, and the Rings of Power should feel like an epic, mm-hmm. and it doesn't at all. And it's a real problem. Because when you talk about Tolkien, you're talking about epic. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about revealing the land of the Numenorians, I mean, the only evidence we see of the Numenorians in, like, Lord of the Rings is in the movies, like, when they're sailing past these 80-foot-tall statues reaching out across the river, and you're like, the people that did this had to be amazing. Uh-huh. And the Numenorians, in fact, were supposed to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And yet, nothing felt amazing about them in the show. You weren't shaking in your boots? I was very underwhelmed. You should be... If anything, you should not be feeling when looking at a work inspired by Tolkien. It should not be underwhelmed. Right. So let's back up and talk about the plot some. And, okay, let's go ahead and... Let me ask something up front. Mm -hmm. Is this a spoiler-free rant, or are we embracing the spoiler? It's been out long enough that if someone really wanted to see it, they would have seen it already. Okay. Do you mind spoilers? No, because at this point, I'm not going to watch it. Okay. So, a warning for everyone listening. Beyond here, there be spoilers. So, I'm going to start at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Because the beginning, to me, started, hopefully. Oh. We see a young Galadriel. They invent some background with her brother back in the Western lands mm-hmm. where the elves are immortal and all that. I, it was a little cheesy, but overall well done. I still liked it. Mm-hmm. We had that kind of hyperkinetic wushu kung fu movie inspired combat that the elves do. Mm-hmm. Is it absurd from a real world perspective? Yeah, but we don't have 10,000 year old elves in the real world either. So. so I'm willing to go with it. 10,000 years as an elf, you might learn how to do some really funky shit in combat, right? Yeah. Honestly, most things in the elves I feel like can realistically be explained away by saying they've been around for so damn long. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. There's not really anything in Tolkien's writing to indicate that Galadriel was a warrior. Yeah. I never got that impression from him. But they went that route... That's okay. Okay. They make her... Basically, they're saying, okay, well, she was the leader of one of the force units that went out searching for Sauron after he disappeared. He's now presumed finally dead and dispersed to the Yether. But she insists on continuing to search for him. She finds some evidence, but her team basically commits mutiny and says, we're not doing this anymore. We've been doing this for, like, centuries now, chasing leads that go nowhere. We're at, done with it. At that point, you need expected. And, and they're out in, like, the ass end of the world and the frozen lands and stuff at this point. And, Which, that's, and that's saying something, because elves don't, based on what I remember of the books, I will keep in mind I haven't read them in many, many years, but based mm. on what I remember, they didn't like to leave their homes very often. Right. They like their area. Although in this time period, they're a little more... They're less reclused. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I But I was cool with all that. I mean, I thought the <coughs> characterization of Galadriel and the others was a little on the nose for the tough-minded, won't-let-it-go person versus everyone else who's so reasonable and clearly doesn't see the truth that the one who won't let it go sees. I hate that trope. It, it's, it's a painful trope. But, okay, let it go. She ends up relenting. They head back. And the High King of the Elves, Gil-Galliad, 
basically says, we're going to send you home with some other elves and you're going back to the Western lands. So you get to go back to paradise. Congrats. Woohoo. Which she's not happy about. Of course. And she's put on a boat. Now, the seas that separate Middle Earth from the land of the elves is a huge sea. It's called the Sundered Seas. They're on different continents. And it's dangerous. Mm. I mean, they talk about how, in the books, about how the shipwrights of the Grey Havens are so amazing because they can actually make ships that can cross it. Yeah, making this, doing this is dangerous. And they're huge ships <laughs> that have to be able to withstand amazing storms and dangerous seas. You don't do this willy-nilly. These elves are put on a boat that looks like it was made for fishing in a small pond. There's not room. There's six elves on it, and there's not room for them to sit down. They have to stand upright on it. They would have been dead within the hour. Right. And presumably, they have crossed an ocean this way. Standing. Did they even... They must have thighs like fucking, you know, molten steel. God help them, they probably haven't slept in weeks. I... Did, did the writers not read the books before writing their script? Don't even get me started on the fact that there's no room for supplies, and we know elves have to eat. Yeah. And no potable water. Who the fuck did they th and, and supposedly I mean, this is like a week-long trip, if not more. Because, you know... Weeks and weeks. Months, presumably. Uh, who knows? Maybe even like a year. With no apparent form of propulsion for this boat. I'm willing to say it's magic, but it feels like bullshit. And they're standing. There's and they're no standing. food. And no water. Right. Because supposedly the water's salt water. And there's clearly no room here for supplies. I mean... They might have Limbos bars, and I understand they can make those stretch, but yeah. Anyway, they finally get there. They get to the portal. The portal's about to suck them in. Uh, they choose to go through it. They go through this ritual of taking off their armor. Uh, and then Galadriel's like, nah, I'm out. And she jumps to swim away, which is the point at which I started calling her Aqualass. Because what the fuck is she going to do? Swim back across the ocean? I mean, I guess it must be pretty easy, right? Because this tiny-ass boat just did it. I, 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 the, <laughs> you know what trope I hate the most? The female character who's, like, super unirrational and just goes with what her heart tells her. Right. It's, and, and you know, supposed to be the naive one who ends up being right in the... I hate it so much. Right. Now, at this point, I was still willing to go with it. No unforgivable sins had been committed yet. Mm -hmm. Now, while this is happening, there are two other plot lines that run parallel. Okay, oh, so it's a multi... So, right. So there's multiple plots here who are supposedly supposed to meet up at the middle. Right. And two of these plot lines do meet up later, but one of them still runs parallel at the end of the series. And there'll be more series later. Okay. Oh, so they were trying to make a multiverse? Not multiverse, but like... A cinematic universe, yeah, sort of. That's yes, the and they've said there's going to be... I forget how many, but there's... <coughs> I believe at least two more planned series after this one. What is it with people trying to pull a Marvel? Because Marvel made what I call... Tie hooker cocaine money. Okay, and I'm about to say something that might piss people off. I like the Marvel movies. I don't get why they're as popular as they are. No, I'm with you. Because many of the Marvel movies are highly flawed. And, on, and some of them that people go so gaga over are only worth watching for the action scenes. The things I could say about Endgame... Oh, it, it's a it's a hot mess. The action scenes are fun, but that's it. The only reason I didn't notice it the first time was because I was so invested in what I've been... Because at this point, I they, I have watched weeks of my life in these movies. Right. 
And you get so caught up in the spectacle you don't notice, but when you rewatch it for once, and that first time you rewatch it, the spectacle isn't so absorbing, and then you go, What the eh. fuck? Because there's only two reliable things in all of the Marvel movies. One, the acting, and B, the fight scenes. Yeah. And, I mean, just to be brutally honest, there are only two great Marvel movies, I would say. Mm-hmm. Maybe three. What would those be? Well, the two that are great, we've mentioned before, mm-hmm. which are Captain America and Shang-Chi. Yeah. The Captain, the first Captain America movie was perfect. Right. It was perfect. It has absolutely no flaws. I can't think of anything that can make it better. Outside of maybe um, Peggy being in it more, but I'm a yeah. Peggy girl. Right. Shang-Chi has a couple of very minor flaws. Mm-hmm. Very minor. Mm-hmm. They only stand out because the movie is so good. Uh-huh. Black Panther could have been a perfect movie, but it has some critical writing flaws in it. Which is a shame because there's so much so good in it. And then the first Iron Man movie was really, really good, too. It had a chance of being as good as Captain America. It ended up at, like, four and a half stars instead of five. Uh-huh. Which Black Panther is, too. Mm-hmm. It really hurts me because Black Panther came so close to being a perfect fo- a perfect movie. It uh, could have been a perfect honestly, movie. Honestly, okay, this is my opinion as someone who watched <coughs> the movie before I see- heard anything of the comics. If you go into it with zero knowledge of Black Panther as a comic... It's a five stars. After you see, but after you acknowledge the comics, it goes down to four. The the actions of Killmonger in the movie are so heavily flawed from a plot perspective, it still damages it. Mm. Anyway, back to Rings of Power. So the other two plot lines that occur. A lot of people got really pissed off about this, and I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it only one time and put it out of the way. Mm -hmm. One of the storylines has a black elf, and one of the storyline has some black hobbits. Mm-hmm. There is an acronym for my feelings. I-D-A-G-F. I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. A lot of people lost their minds about it, though. What, did they assume there was no melanin in Middle Earth? I don't know. I mean, we know there were dark-skinned people, so why not dark-skinned elves and hobbits? Because Tolkien, Tolkien never made a big deal out of that. Well, there was some cultural racism in how he treated dark-skinned True. people. True. But I'm not going to get into a rant on that right now. I actually think that if Tolkien had really had a chance to be confronted with his prejudices, he would have changed some of the offensive stuff he did. We know that he did it in regards to other things, like his treatment of women. Uh, he was very progressive for his time. Oh, yeah. And willing to adjust his perception based on becoming aware of things. Mm-hmm. I really feel like if you confronted him with his ideas of race, he could have right. not been racist. And it still wasn't as overwhelmingly racist as a lot of things are. And I do want to say, there is a modern perception, heavily driven by Dungeons & Dragons, mm-hmm. let me say, that equivalates orcs with black people and racial treatment of orcs with racism. I can see that. That derives from D&D, not from Tolkien. Yeah. D&D took its orcs from Tolkien, but those treatments are D&D, not Uh Tolkien. Yeah. Tolkien made some kind of racist comments about the dark-skinned Haradrim from the Southlands. Oh, I don't remember that. It's it's kind of like this low-key racism. And I think if you had confronted him about it, he would have gone, oh, God, I didn't mean it like that. Mm. You know? Yeah. Or gone, you know, I did do that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. I need to I, I need to look at that. Mm-hmm. And I need to look at why I said that. Mm-hmm. Because he was very logical and progressive. Yeah. Because he even made statements saying he wished he had more female characters in his books. Right. And wish he had added more. Which I was really hoping Rings of Power would have added more onto that. Well, it made one of the protagonists, Galadriel, Mm -hmm. female. Mm -hmm. So it did a little bit. But to return to those two other threads, Mm -hmm. uh, one of them uh, involves this area of mortals that used to worship Morgoth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're not trusted by the elves. And the elves are kind of sent... There's a group of elves that are there to kind of oversee them. Mm. And they've taken off over this old Morgothian fortress to watch over the local humans. Mm -hmm. And then 
the other storyline involves these sort of proto-hobbits. They haven't settled in the Shire yet. They're nomadic. They obviously have this really hard time. And that becomes one of the problems. They are downright callous and cruel at times. What? Sometimes they seem like happy hobbits. Mm -hmm. And then other times they're like, hey, we're going to sing a song about these people that would have slowed us down. So instead of stopping to help them, we leave them to die in the snow. That's not hobbits. To quote, to quote Brandon Sanderson, nobody asked for grim, dark hobbits. Those aren't my hobbits. Right. The writers did not understand what people wanted in hobbits. Hobbits are good people. Well, they're and, the happy little Shire people. And paradoxically, they're like, oh, these are just like the hobbits you know. Except when they're not, they're completely fucking grimdark. So not only... Is it not what you want from hobbits, but it's not thematically consistent within the show. No one asked for dark fantasy hobbits. It's like they tried to have their cake and eat it too. The writers tried to show the hobbits you know and like, and then we're going to periodically make them grimdark suddenly so you understand how different these hobbits are before we then ignore that and make them the hobbits you like again. And we'll just go back and forth however we want to the point where it feels schizophrenic watching it. What You're stunned. The fuck? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's bad. And then suddenly this guy comes down from the sky and he explodes. Now, and, and again, there are spoilers. They try to make it seem like maybe it's Saruman, mm -hmm. maybe it's Gandalf. They try to play up this mystery over the season of who it is. Including these people who show up who indicate that they're looking for it to be Saruman. Ooh. But they got the signs wrong. Okay. This brings up a whole other problem. Mm -hmm. Several problems. One, the Astari arrived in Middle-earth not as, as lights that fell from the sky and impacted the earth like David Bowie in a 1970s movie. Uh-huh. They showed up on a boat at the Grey Havens. What is it with everyone arriving in small boats? Well, no, 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 no. In the actual books, they arrive in a boat. A normal boat. Mm -hmm. In fact, that is where Gandalf gets the Ring of Fire mm -hmm. for. It was previously held by mm -hmm. one of, by the shipwright of okay. the Grey Havens. Okay. Who gives it to Gandalf and says, you will need this. Okay. Now, time has been rearranged here because those rings don't exist yet. So, there's oh. a violation of continuity in time. Oh, this is back in time? Right. The story of Ring... I guess if I didn't say that. Rings of Power happens in the far past. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I, I kind of had a feeling with the mentions of Saruman, but I wasn't 100% sure. Well, and notice I said Galadriel was young. Oh, tr oh yeah. Tr I, I guess my brain missed that. Yeah. So, we have Gandalf showing up along presumably with the other Istari, not on a boat. They show up before the Elven Rings exist. And why they introduce these, like, witch women from some foreign place who are really there just to be cryptic and weird and threatening, who have a prophecy of Saruman turning evil as fuck for them, mm -hmm. which implies Saruman was evil from the beginning. But in fact, we know from Gandalf in the books that Saruman used to be the wisest of them mm. to the point where Gandalf looked up to him and would go to him for advice as the smarter, wiser one. Now, he became corrupted over time, mm -hmm. but this seems to contradict that and imply that he would have been evil as fuck from day one, in which case, why would have Gandalf ever looked up to him? This doesn't just contradict the books. This contradicts the movies, mm -hmm. which you would be the common reference point for people watching it. So it's just bad writing. And this whole back and forth of trying to make people think it's going to be Saruman when it's clearly going to be Gandalf because of the hobbits, because they clearly want to show people where the hobbits came from and where Gandalf's association with the hobbits came from, which 
And they want to put in a fan favorite character. Right. Which Gandalf is. Which, you know, clearly they want to put in the fan favorite characters, and they want to show the beginnings of things. Mm -hmm. Which, to paraphrase Patton Oswalt, just because I thought Darth Vader was a badass, doesn't mean I want to see his father's scrotum. We don't always have to know where things came from that we like. I don't need to see a young Gandalf. I got to see an old Gandalf be a badass. Right. Already. Well, he starts off old. Oh, correct. He's, is he just permanently old? Did he just come well, yeah. Out well, keep in mind, he's not human. Oh, true. I always forget that. He's a spirit. He's essentially an, a lesser angel. Mm -hmm. He is of a race of creatures that are the angels of his world. I always forget that. Basically, you have... God, mm -hmm. who created the universe, and then these figures that aren't called angels, but they are, mm -hmm. and then you have a class of them that are essentially archangels, and then a lower class that are normal angels. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what purpose do the Astari serve? They carry a message to encourage the mortal races to fight evil. The term angel means messenger. Mm -hmm. So... That storyline with the Hobbits, I have fault with it. I don't like the Grimdark. I thought the witch women were stupid. Uh, uh, and, and, and their whole attempts to try to confuse us about the stranger's identity and whether he was Gandalf or Saruman was ill-conceived. But overall, that is the best of the three storylines. What is it with the trope of a group of either old, magical, or all three group of women doing riddles trying to confuse people? Because it's an old thing that goes back to the fates in Greek mythology, uh, and it's just been heavily borrowed since uh, because of its cultural influence. Okay. I mean, for the same reason you see the fates in Neil Gaiman's Sandman, for example. So... Let's put that storyline aside. It actually overall was pretty good despite its flaws. Okay. That, now, that, that boat still bothers me. Let's go back to boats and other stuff. So, Galadriel comes back to the world uh -huh. after a side trip. And we'll talk about the side trip in a minute. And we get to one of my problems with the elves as general. Mm -hmm. Now, Gil-Galliad is represented in Tolkien lore as the high king of the elves. He kind of assumes the position. The assumption is that he's wise, he's powerful. He, he represents what is great about elves in Middle-earth. He is an idiot and a tool. Okay, here is what... Okay, we find out. So when Gil-Galliad exiles Galadriel, mm -hmm. he says, Your job is done. Sauron is gone. There's no need for you here. Just go and stop causing problems. And she basically goes, well, everybody says he's gone. I, I, maybe I really am just causing problems. Mm -hmm. When she gets back, she comes back to communicate. We have found evidence that there's real stuff going on. There's rot spreading in places. Mm -hmm. And Gil Galliard's response to her is, yeah, we knew. And she goes, um... So you knew there was evidence that this evil is still creeping in the world that you told me I was delusional about and you sent me away? And his reply was, well, we thought if we sent you away, it would just stop. What, do you think uteruses were the root of all evil? Uh, apparently an elven uterus. <laughs> it's mind-numbing, isn't it? What in the... Gaslight hell? Right. It's bizarre. So meanwhile, but before she gets back to Gilgalia and talks to him, remember, she's swimming the ocean. She's Aqualas. <laughs> and she ends up coming across a shipwreck with a guy on it. Mm -hmm. There's some other people, but they die quickly. Who cares? They don't matter to the plot. Right. But there's a dude there, mm -hmm. and they end up hanging out together. Don't tell me what's going to happen what I think is going to happen. What do you think? A romance I'm... subplot? Uh-huh. Of course it will. Because you can't have a female character without there being a romance subplot. But not until much later and very low-key. Now, she needs the shipwreck so she doesn't drown. Mm-hmm. 
because, presumably. Because for some reason she thought swimming was great. So that also means she's stupid? I, I, I don't know. It's not clear. Well, so in, so And the shipwreck is floating. Uh-huh. And it ends up ultimately floating to the land of the Numenorians. Oh, how perfect. Right. How ideal. Now, there's a reason to believe this might have sort of been engineered. But we'll get to that later. Yes, so there's a guy on it. The guy kind of causes some trouble and some good. And bad. But you get this vibe that he's very manipulative. Ooh. Including when he ends up in this bad situation and then he suddenly turns into like psycho fast combat god and just kills everybody That's in a darkened normal. alley. That's not normal. And I, I was already suspicious because this guy seemed kind of fixated on her. And they said Sauron was obsessed with Galadriel and had a and had a thing for her, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that's one of the things in the Legendarium that basically Galadriel was the chick that everybody wanted. Yeah, her beauty was that legendary. And they, of course, play up on that in Lord of the Rings with Gimli going, "Damn!" She, she was the it girl of um... for ten thousand years uh-huh. or so, right? So I already suspected it was Sauron. At that point, I was sure. And of course, I turned out to be right. Mm -hmm. So maybe Sauron wanted to get to Numenor Mm -hmm. because he had a plan. And he was a smith and he wanted to do some smithing stuff. So we kind of see like, okay, he has a plan for the rings. And he's going to use the Numenorean smiths Mm -hmm. to manipulate for this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Although we don't actually find out he's Sauron for sure until the very last scene of the show, pretty much. Or next to last scene. But at this point, they had made it so obvious for anyone well, who paid attention. Well, I felt it was obvious. A lot of people did not. Oh. There was a lot of debate about it. Oh. Although, by the time you get to the last episode, I think it's very clear to everybody. I was going to say, just based on the details you told me, that feels like a screaming bell. Well, they did. They made an okay effort to kind of distract from it. Okay. And he's very subtle in his manipulations, blah, blah, blah. But okay. Here's my problem with Numenor mm-hmm. and the Numenorians. They are the great noble race of humanity. Yeah. Um, the Lost King, which is, of course, Aragorn, mm-hmm. is descended from the lines of Numenorians. They're made to be the ideal people. They can live hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. They were brilliant. They built the golden age of the mortal world. They're, they're supposed to be seen as humans, as, an, as made into an ideal race. So, when we're introduced to the Numenorians in the show, they're Trumpites. No. They're xenophobic, racist, small-minded, reactionary. It's bizarre. That's, that's not what they were supposed to be. No. No, they're supposed to be welcoming. No. And, and nothing says... Nothing says... An epic that will stand the test of time, like a crudely shoved-in contemporary political allegory. No, so, no one asked for politics in Middle Earth. Eventually, they get motivated to go get involved with the shit happening in Middle Earth proper, because they're Numenor is off of the ocean by itself. Yeah, they have their own little coast. Right. So, they're going to send these ships with, like, a hundred horses per ship, along with men in armor and everything. You mean to tell me they actually have proper ships on, like, the dinghy boat? Well, hold on. Oh, shit. They show these ships. These ships are not, I mean, they're proper ships. They're, made, they're like, described like the ones in the book? Well, we see them. Uh, that's what I'm asking. We see them. But, okay. Do you have any idea how much space a hundred horses take up? A lot. A lot. Because people don't seem to realize, I've actually seen horses in person, they're big. Right, they're big. People in their head, and people in, like, people's heads know they're big, but you don't really realize how big a horse is until you see one in person. Right. So, horses, barding, supplies for them, warriors to ride them. People to assist the warriors, foot soldiers, 
logistics people. This is going to take armor, of boats. Weapons. And they're not sending 100 horses. 100 horses per boat. How big oh, is this boat? Well, that's my point. To And there are historical warships of this size. Uh-huh. This has happened in history. But you're talking about something that's the equivalent of a large galleon. This is like Some a- of the largest boats ever made in history. Uh-huh. These weren't made willy-nilly. I mean, we're talking about boats made of wood that... I mean, I'm not saying they're as big as the largest, you know... Uh, 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 modern military craft but you look at like the old spanish galleons the big war galleons these are huge ships they're like the equivalent of crude ships they're so big right these ships the numenorians are sailing they have space for about 10 horses and they're basically what i think of as historically would have been a basic three-mast merchant ship and we're supposed to believe there's a hundred horses in it. Right. You couldn't put a hundred horses in there if you chopped them up and stacked the pieces. So we're not even talking about, like, pirate ship? No. Holy so. fucking shit. What kind of... What now, kind? hold on. It, oh, my gets, rant is nowhere near done. And it gets worse. So. Now let's go over to the third plot line. Mm-hmm. The third plot line involves these orcs who are digging these elaborate tunnels. Mm-hmm. And it actually is pretty cool. Uh-huh. And then it turns out these black Numenorians, mm-hmm. who were the once worshippers of Morgoth, mm-hmm. one of them has kept hold of this artifact. Mm-hmm. And the kid... Because there's always a kid. Because there always has to be a little boy. He oh. ends up with it. And there's it's this part is actually well written. Oh, wow. You end up with a, will he turn evil? Will he won't? Will this happen? Will that happen? That's I mean, it's, it's the best written of the, of the, of the three storylines. Oh. And you're like, you're really ready for this kid to become a major character. Uh-huh. Which shocked me because I usually hate kids in these shows. Same. They're usually so poorly written. And there's a black elf with a low-key romance with the kid's mother. But it's actually well-written. It's mm. not obnoxious or annoying or You're anything. You're not like, why did they shove in a romance? Right. And the elves are told they're leaving. They're done. We're out. We're out. Adios. Sauron is gone, so there's no worry anymore. Even if these people aren't good people, they can't support a Dark Lord who's not around anymore. Right? Yeah, so they, they can deal with the rest on their own. Right. And so all of that is happening... And, hold on, let me check something here. Okay. So all of that is happening. And, of course, these orcs are here. So guess why the orcs are here flooding this area and destroying the towns? Why? Because they're looking for the artifact. They're looking for the MacGuffin that the kid has. Okay. Because it will somehow be useful in their mind, for bringing back the Dark Lord. Okay. Now, we actually get some interesting characters in here, including an elf who'd been turned into an orc, one of the first orcs. Oh. And this gets into a whole discussion about where do orcs come from. That's a very long tangent on its own right, because Tolkien said things, and there's tons of fan theories, and... We don't actually know really for sure. There's a lot of gray area there. And some of the things Tolkien wrote seemed to be contradictory, which he even acknowledged in letters and was like, well, I guess there's a mystery here, right? Yeah, he normally, when he contradicted himself, it was actually normally on purpose. Because he wanted things to be vague. He wanted, you know, it's like, if, if, if you go through, say, the prose Edda, not everything is perfectly in line with each other in it. This happens from legends. And he was trying to write an epic in the vein of these great epic oral traditions. That's one of the reasons why I find his writing so interesting. Because well, normally when a writer comes against themselves, it's an accident. Right. It's a fucking oopsie-daisy. Meanwhile, when he contradicts himself, it's like, ooh, what is he trying to say here? Right. And sometimes it's, well, these two people have these different understandings of what happened. Mm-hmm. And blah, blah, blah. So, as this storyline progresses... 
The painful thing was, it was really well written, actually. Oh, shit. Until the very end. That's always the worst. So at the very end, the MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. Now, remember I said the elves Mm -hmm. were watching over these people from a fortress they had taken from Morgoth. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was Sauron. Probably Mm -hmm. Sauron, actually. And this is what the elf and the remaining humans hole up in to protect themselves from the orcs and the evil humans with them. Mm-hmm. And there's a and there's actually some great scenes in there where they did some brilliant stuff. Mm-hmm. But the bad guy gets the MacGuffin, gets into the fortress, and there's this place. Mm-hmm. It's on the battlements. We have had multiple scenes with the elves just hanging out there talking. And he just, like, basically brushes away the dust, shoves the MacGuffin in, erupts the volcano, hell on earth escapes, and this is the land of Mordor now. As the whole land is destroyed into a volcanic wasteland. And Mordor is is created. So the elves have, for many generations of humanity, literally been standing next to... The key to unleashing hell on earth and and creating the homeland of evil, and they ignored it. Now, you ask yourself, is this thing incredibly hard to figure out? Would they have just blithely ignored it because it basically was random hole in rock 74? Mm -hmm. No. It was a pedestal. To take, obviously, a sword-like shape directly in front of of an embossed mural of the Dark Lord holding something that looks like it would fit into it. You mean to tell me it may as well have a neon sign saying, bad shit here. Right. If you were playing an MMORPG, there would be a blinking yellow exclamation mark over it going... Blind player, here, right. here. Right. This is your quest objective. Uh-huh. <laughs> I... How did the script get approved? Oh, no. The best. I have saved the best for last. Oh, okay. 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 <clears throat> now, I, I've, I've skipped over the relationship between old Legolas and old Gimli. Because, of course, they had to insert an elf and a dwarf to mirror Legolas's and Gimli's relationship. Again, giving fans what they want. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And parts of it were a little cheesy for me, but overall I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. But now we get to Celebrimbor. Uh-huh. Celebrimbor is the great smith of the elves. Uh-huh. He is, arguably, the greatest smith who ever lived. A master of magic so amazing in the art of smithing that he created the One Ring. Holy fucking shit. Now, it was corrupted by Sauron. But he made it. Right. He was the one who knew how to. Arguably, he knew more about smithing than any other entity in the world. So he's a big fucking deal. Right. BFE. Or maybe he didn't make... No, he didn't make the One Ring. Sorry. Sauron made the One Ring. He made the three Elven Rings. But Sauron helped him make the three rings. And then Sauron went off and using his knowledge of the three... Of how the rings are made, made the One Ring control them. Yeah. Sorry. Memory falls. So... It's okay. It's been a few years. Yeah. Um, So he, pretending to be this mortal, shows up. Now remember, Celebrimbor. Greatest smith ever. Already at this point in the story. Not later. Now. Now. So amazing that when Gilgaliad lies about a plot point that involves Mithril and this other stuff that we won't get into right now, says that he's going to build like a 300-foot-tall furnace for Celebrimbor mm-hmm. to make the most amazing stuff ever made in history, people go... I mean, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. It's worth turning a whole nation's resources to building something. I mean, this guy's that fucking good. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, this makes sense to people. Mm -hmm. 
Turns out Gilgaliad is lying and all that, but that's another issue. But we're still establishing his character. Right. So the mortal shows up. They don't have enough of what they need to make the ring that they want to make. Mm -hmm. Basically, they want to make a ring that will protect the elves from fading. Mm -hmm. Their previous plan had been to get Mithril, which the dwarves don't actually have, but they're living on top of, and close all the elves in Mithril, I guess, because somehow they'll protect them from fading from the world. What? It's really vague and poorly written. Okay. So anyway, poorly defined plan A doesn't work. They can't get it. They only have a small amount of mithril. They can't make what they need with it. Killebrimbor's just stumped. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I'm done. Yeah. Send me home. He's just done? I'm done. I can't do anything. The mortal, Sauron in disguise, goes... What if you added other metals and made an alloy? Uh-huh. You mean to tell me he did? And Celebrimbor goes, Oh! No! No! I never thought of that! No! And Sauron, as a mortal, goes, You know, sometimes when you make an alloy, you don't have to lose the properties of the original metal. Sometimes, with the right alloy, you can even enhance it. And Celebrimbor goes, Whoa! I'm 30,000 years old! I have built the armaments that have fought demigods! Holy shit, what magic is this you know? I'm sitting there watching this going, my knowledge of metallurgy comes from watching YouTube videos, and this is fucking obvious to me. (laughs) Suffice it to say, at this point, I have dubious feelings about hobbits. The elves are all stupid and might as well die off. I don't give a shit anymore. They're meant to be the intelligent race. They're meant to be the, oh my god, they're so fucking smart race. The Numenorians are horrible. I mean, at this point, by the end of the first series, I don't care about a second series because everybody on Middle-earth just deserves to die. At this this point, you may as well nuke it. Right. At this point, I can see why no one travels there. At this point, I'm like, Maybe we should give Sauron a chance. Yeah. Maybe he'd make it better. Maybe he's actually not that bad of a guy. <laughs> Maybe he's got some good ideas we could work with. <laughs> you know what? Maybe we should have been listening to his point. Wait, go ahead and take the stage, dude. Have a microphone. Let I, me hear your points. I mean, if he's like, look, all of humanity and elves are, you know, useless. It's like, well, I mean, he's right about that. Let's keep talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> brings us through my opinions on the Rings of Power. You know you fucked up as a writer when people watching this show goes, wait, maybe the big bi- maybe the big bad actually, you know, has a point here. <laughs> there, there were times that I stopped and rewinded it because I couldn't believe what they said. That hurts me. There were times it was so bad, I... I just burst out laughing at it. No. I... My heart. Yeah. So there we go. That is the Rings of Power. So, was that what you wanted out of a rant? (laughs) I'm hurt inside. It's okay. I understand. I I want those writers' head on a plaque. Pike. Yeah, a pike. pike. Yeah. I, yeah. It's mind-blowing. I I hope they stay away from fan conventions. So, you know, when they talk about how they want to reboot Lord of the Rings and redo the movies and stuff... No, no. I'm concerned. I don't think they need rebooting. They are, they are going to reshoot them. 
Peter Jackson is right now campaigning to be hired as the director to do the new versions, which I, I want because as much as I didn't love Peter Jackson's versions, as much as I found some fault with them, I thought they were fundamentally good, and I know he wouldn't do any of this bullshit. I... Maybe it's just because I haven't seen the movies in a long time, but I remember the writing being fine. The costuming was okay. Costuming was good. Yeah, and, and the acting was, was amazing. I, I would argue that the writing overall was very good through the movies. Yeah, I don't I think I don't think we're at the age yet where they need reshooting and need rebooting. I don't think they need to either. But the movie studios see an opportunity to make money. I think the only point honestly when movies need reshooting and rebooting is when we're at a time where the costuming can be done a lot better. That's fair. And maybe effects. Oh, special effects can definitely be done better at this point. Yeah, but I feel like I don't think they need reshooting. Um, I don't know. We'll see what we see, right? Mm -hmm. All right. It, Rant over. I would like to see them redo the Hobbit movie, though. Yeah, I didn't care for how the trilogy was done. But that is a rant for, for another, another day. day. Class is dismissed. But if you need to talk to the professor, listen on. My link tree is at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash... Prof Hamby, that is P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y. That has all the places that I post announcements about new episodes, including the huge variety of podcasting services and YouTube that I drop them on. Additionally, I actually spend a little bit of personal time on a couple of networks, specifically Twitter, that's pr at Prof Hamby, P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y, and on Tumblr, where the blog is called Simply Comics Course. And I also, for some of my more narrative cast episodes, also post the transcriptions or notes from my podcasts. I'll see you around, and if you want to contact me, DMs are always open.